Welcome, everyone, to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am Neil Pollock. I am your host. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much more, and we have a typically great show for you this week. I'm leaning heavily into our contributor, Robert Dean, who is going to be here to talk to me about New stand-up comedy specials from Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais that are now very popular and streaming on Netflix. And uh, Bobby is also going to talk with me about the final season of the hit Canadian sitcom Letter Kenny, which is airing now and is also very funny. And JP Gwynn is going to be here as well to talk to me about season two of Reacher, which is on Amazon Prime and may not be as good as season one, although Reacher is just as tough and beefy as ever. But first, Bobby Hilliard, Robert Dean will be here to talk to me about Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais right after this interlude. What do you dream about? Not the dreams you have in your sleep, the ones you hold in your heart. Don't be intimidated by the audacity of your dream. Be inspired by it. What happens to a dream deferred? Lucky for Dave, he doesn't know. Thank you very much, The Dreamer. The top two most streamed programs on Netflix over the last weekend were a couple of uh, stand-up comedy specials from Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais, who churn out enormous amounts of content for Netflix and are easily the two most popular uh, stand-up comedians in the world. And they've kind of done it on a... I mean, they've, they've both been in the game a long time, but they've built their reputations in the last few years on this kind of anti-woke uh, celebrity branding, uh, which has been extremely effective and really funny. And uh, I am here today with uh, Robert Dean to talk about uh, these specials. He wrote about he wrote about Chappelle specifically for the site, but is well-versed in all things Ricky Gervais. It's kind of hard to avoid Ricky Gervais if you like comedy. Hello. Howdy. Howdy. So, yeah, so the, the Chappelle special, you know, I, let's talk about that first, because Chappelle is... Look, he's obviously one of the master stand-up comedians of all time, but I just feel like, you know, in my opinion, he's it's like the snake eating its own tail. Like he just I've never seen uh an act who is more self-mythologizing than Chappelle. So it's kind of like if you are a fan, you either show up at his shows or you watch the shows and you're you're basically just there to to look at him and to sort of revel in his in his myth. Maybe you disagree. I don't know. Maybe you think the content actually means something other than that. Um, with him, it's weird because I love Dave Chappelle. I do. I straight up am a huge fan. But like he's gotten so big and so in this world that's just completely his own that comedy's hard because once you reach a certain zenith of it, you run out of stuff to really truly observe like a normal person, but also bitch about. And that makes for hard comedy. Yeah, some people can do it. He can see, can still have a plethora of material, but he doesn't have real person problems anymore. He has rich guy problems. Well, it's a lot of like, you know, here's what happened when six famous people and I went out to dinner, you know? Yeah, like it's, he's good at still crafting and telling a joke, but when he leans into things like, He's at that weird place of it's literally Dave Chappelle, George Carlin and Richard Pryor. When you reach that level of like 
being able to craft the joke and nail it. But where Dave lays down is Richard Pryor. I mean, if you go back and watch Pryor's like last stuff, Dave's like pretty much right there. They're very close in experience where George Carlin took on all the shit of the world. The difference between all of them is, is George Carlin got better the older he got. Maybe not the last one, because last one he was pretty crotchety, but the late 90s, early 2000s stuff, I mean, that's Carlin's best stuff. Right, and his, you know, his politics were really sharp then, and, you know, he was still able to observe ridiculous stuff about the world, even, even if it wasn't stuff that he was actually experiencing himself. And I just feel like, you know, you watch Chappelle's special, it's kind of like, it's a lot of old stories about what, when he was less famous, and then stories about how he's now famous, and then, you know, he has this whole thing, you know, he, he kind of came into notoriety the last few years because he was, you know, he, he made some trans jokes, right? And he was sort of talking about transgender culture when it was really not acceptable to make fun of it. But now he's not really making fun of it. He's just kind of, he's just almost alluding to it, right? Alluding to his controversy. Yeah, I mean, he alludes to it and he still leaned into those jokes. I mean, he still made them. You can't go to any comedy club in America and they're not making those jokes. Like, it's almost so easy now yeah that people aren't doing it and i'm knee deep and fuck i wouldn't even say knee deep i'm neck deep in the comedy world here yeah in in austin where we live yeah i hear jokes every night of the week i have to take breaks from comedy i hear it so much and you know those jokes have just got it's low-hanging fruit at this point it's no longer controversial it's just you go to any show you're at least going to hear five trans jokes and so it's like okay we get it you've done that you've done the work to make those jokes but it's just like okay what's what's the next bit that you're gonna go for and i agree with you in the sense that there's really not like i said you can only get so far with experiential things the thing that i think is interesting is joe rogan is just as big as dave Chappelle, probably bigger let's be honest and i watched rogan work out his set I've seen Joe Rogan do comedy probably 18 times because he, when he was at Vulcan, I was there a lot. But Joe, like, consistently didn't really do any, like, stuff like that. It was, I mean, he has some pretty interesting points of view, and it, it's his best material, too, that he's doing, which I thought is interesting because Chappelle can crank so much out. Joe will only do his specials, like, once every three years. So I saw him work that set before he recorded it. Well, and Rogan is interested in other people and other perspectives. You know, he, you know, his whole deal is that he talks to people for hours at a time. Um, and so he's exposed to a lot more, I think, to some extent, reality than Chappelle is. You know, I feel like Chappelle is just like, we exist in a pure bubble of fame and, and self-regard. Yeah, I mean, I think they're two very different takes and the idea of what, perspective is but like i said where Chappelle will tell like funny stories and like observations about his own ex experience just rogan's was just jokes 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 did he say a couple of hot things in there yeah he did but it wasn't like that it was just literally just set up punchline set up punchline for everything and so i think that those are two wildly different things coming from guys who are both extraordinarily famous well, okay, and so speaking of that, you know, you've got Ricky Gervais across the pond, who has is similar in some ways to to Dave Chappelle in, in terms of his his reach and his influence. I mean, he's a very different kind of person, you know, and he also is, yeah, he's a stand up, but he also you know writes a, still produces scripted material. But I felt you know his latest special on Netflix again, you know, it covers kind of the same 
it's a little different. Like, you, t- you know, he's like talking more about science and, you know, he's a little nerdier. But again, there's a lot of like, um, I'm, I'm just incredibly famous. I'm incredibly rich. Um, my wife told me I shouldn't make this joke because it'd be offensive. He does a lot of like, here, I'm telling a joke. Isn't that a funny joke? It's an offensive joke. You know, he like there's there's too many uh, qualifiers to me. And so I think feel like that his special suffered from a similar problem. Like it's like he's just he's so into himself that it's it ceases to be funny. You know, I like Ricky Gervais on the surface level, but I can only take so much of him. Ricky Gervais is just Richard Dawkins with a, a sense of humor to me where like <laughs> his whole like atheism thing drives me insane. It's like, dude, the world sucks as it is. Just don't shit on people's only sense of hope. Yeah. The whole dark side of religion and things like that absolutely blows, but like you don't have to make, you don't have to do like 20 minutes. It's why I don't really like Mark Marin either. Yeah. And I just don't want to hear 20. When I go to a comedy show, I don't want to hear about fucking why God doesn't exist versus, hey, let me tell you about this time when I fucked a jar of peanut butter. I'm going to go with the fuck a jar of peanut butter every time. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, you know, and that's funny. <laughs> why not? But, you know, I, I listened to these two specials. I, I, I was driving a car up to Oklahoma this weekend where I, I was playing poker. I'm um, going to play poker. And, uh, you know, I listened to those two. And then I put on uh, a Nate Bargatze special, even though I've, I've heard a lot of his material before. And, I know he's not as famous um, or as, uh, you know, prominent as Gervais or Chappelle, but, you know, that's that's he's still like a very successful comedian. And that stuff is just it was just all pure observation, sort of wry, you know, suburban dad humor. And I just I, I laughed a lot more at that stuff than I did at the uh, at Chappelle and Gervais. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I have a firm belief that when you're around comedy as much as I am, you see comics. I've seen some huge ones. And once you reach a certain level of fame, it gets kind of hard to relate to regular people because they get really famous. They can work the road and all that. But like it takes a lot of work to put in those sets to get your hour ready to for the next thing to be built. I mean, with Cat Williams, he just did that whole explosive interview where now it's like a 31 million views. It's bananas how people just because he just talked all that shit. But you can't deny Cat Williams is out there every year. Naki knocked out, like, what, 12 specials? He's got more than anybody. And a couple of them, like the Pimp Chronicles, there's there's a couple that suck. I won't say that a couple don't suck, but the ones that are that hit are all-timers. And for being a famous dude, that dude really takes it seriously and super puts in the work. Not saying that neither Ricky Gervais or Chappelle don't do that. But it is really indicative of how hard somebody's going to work. Like I could list if somebody was listening to this, and they're like, well, I like comedy, but I don't know where to go. I can list you right now a whole bunch you should be watching. Right. And, you know, at, at, at a certain point, Chappelle and Gervais and like, say, Bill Burr have just gone, you know, you look at their early stuff and that stuff is, you know, they're because they're grinding and they have to be funny. Suddenly now it's like it's there's a lot of I'm famous. That that seems to be the underlying message of everything they do. You know, and I agree in the opposite side of that. Tom Segura is wildly famous now, too. But Tom Segura is still grinding, still working on. He tours everywhere and he's still working on that set. What Tom Segura did instead of just doing he's here, he lives here in Austin and he never is up working every night. He's still on the road. He's in uh, China right now doing shows. Well, I'm, I, I, uh, I'm sure they'll, you'll have some stories. 
and, and some observations. So, you know, yeah. So that, I mean, that's the thing. It's like there, so there, there are, there are just a lot of different approaches. I, all I know is that, you know, Ch- Chappelle and Gervais are on this pedestal and they put out a new special and it immediately vaults to number one. But I just have to wonder sometimes, what are people really watching? What are people really, really gleaning from this other than sort of basking in the glow of one of their favorite celebrities? I mean, if I was somebody listening and they were looking for something different, there are a ton of working comedians that now with the internet that are putting stuff out. I mean, you want to watch, you want to get real, like the, it's just jokes, Jicky, Ricky Gervais, if you're listening and you want, it's just jokes, go to YouTube and look for Ryan Holtzman and uh, his things called cancel Holtzman. Watch that one. You want to fucking real test your metal? Go for that. That dude is balls to the wall, been in the business for 30 years and still hasn't gotten his comeuppance that he deserves. So uh, it, Brian Holtzman is our is our sneak recommendation, a stand-up comedy recommendation for the day. All right, so Bobby, we I used to, we still have not hit the, the stand-up comedy scene. We keep talking about doing it, and it just it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, so some stuff behind the scenes has happened that's a positive. Anytime you want to go, we have so many good clubs and so many good comedians here in Austin right now that we can go anytime. All right, man, we're gonna do it, Austin, Texas, uh, stand-up comedy. Capital of the world. Uh, thank you so much for, for uh, giving me a few more minutes of your life to talk about this stuff. Anytime. You refer to these special investigators as your team, your soldiers, even your friends. You can do not mess with the special investigators. And now they're all in trouble. Surveillance photos don't do you justice. Looks like you had a rough night. Had worse. We had JP Gwynn on the show a year ago, two years ago. I don't, I don't remember exactly when. Talking about the first season of Reacher. He was in on the Reacher trend before it became super popular. And I would say that you know Reacher has hit a cultural peak at this point with, with season two. Uh, now on Amazon Prime. Um, but JP, you didn't like, I was disappointed you didn't like season two nearly as much as you'd like season one. At this point, no. To be fair, the whole season hasn't aired yet. There's still, I don't know, four or five more episodes to go. Uh, but I I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm going to like it as much as, as season one, no. Yeah, because I've been watching season one. And um, I mean, look, is it perfect TV? No. A lot of the situations are very hackneyed and and uh, you know, some of the dialogue is really stupid, but the show, but it's fun. You know, there's there's a good, uh, he's sort of a good romantic foil in in that female cop. And, uh, you know, there's just some really great action scenes and there's a lot of quips. Um, I, I find uh, Reacher, Reacher season one extremely enjoyable. Uh, you know, my wife, I put it on before Christmas and she's like, you're going to watch Reacher, really? And so she was doing something on her laptop and then, in the first season, I, I caught her peeking over the brim of her laptop, and then, <laughs> then slowly the laptop closed. And by the time Reacher took his shirt off for the first time, the laptop was on the coffee table, and she was like, "I love him, I love him." Oh, he's a he's a study in in hard surfaces for sure. Yeah, he is a large, large, beautiful man, uh, played by Alan Richson. Richson, Richson. It's Richson. Richson. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. He's a, um, you know, a, a ex MP, right? A soldier who uh, is kind of, he has a special forces vibe about him. And he just, he solves problems with his fists, but he also has Sherlock Holmes level uh, powers of deduction. <laughs> he's a little bit, I don't know. 
like Rain Man meets the Hulk. Everything <laughs> is very direct with him, but he likes little puzzles. He has lots of trivia that he knows. Like, I think he'd be a formidable guy to have on your team at a pub quest. He'd yeah. be a teammate. Yeah. Yeah. He's well read. He's very well read. He, 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 he can drop a Eudora Welty reference. <laughs> no one's noticed. I, shocking. I think if, shocking. I think if he, Even though he's a fictional character, I was shocked. I, I think if he dropped more Eudora Welty references and, and things like that, it would be a better show. Because yeah. he does occasionally do stuff like that. There was a, a pretty fun little bitty tiny scene in um, season two where they're sitting in a diner going through financial records or something like that. It doesn't matter. It's all MacGuffins trying to figure something out. And uh road to nowhere is on the jukebox and he scoffs at it. And somebody else asks him why and says, and that says they're a great New York band. And he goes, they're a Rhode Island band that moved to New York. And I mean, it's good, but like those, those kind of moments are, they're cute. They're funny. And they tell a little bit more about that. But the problem with season two is he gets braided down with a lot of people who aren't that funny and aren't that fun. Right. So the premise, I mean, see, first of all, season one, part of the fun was this ridiculous Georgia town. It took place in Margrave, Georgia. Right. Not a real place. Not nothing even resembling uh, a real place on earth. But season two takes place in like, in like New Jersey, like Atlantic city. It's all over the place. So He's in the, in the beginning, he's in Murfreesboro, Arkansas. It means nothing. He buys some clothes. He beats up a carjacker. Um, <laughs> and then he's meeting people somewhere around. He's in New York and from New York. Then they're in Atlantic city. They, they're in DC for a little while. I think none of it matters. You're kind of sitting there, or I was kind of sitting there waiting for the next fight to happen. And then when a fight would happen, I'd realize I'm like, I don't, know who those guys are or why he threw a door at them. <laughs> well, and you, and you know, and you read the book that it's based on. I read the, I bought the book that it's based on twice. Cause the first time I bought the book, I left my backpack in a car to go say hi to somebody. And somebody broke into the car and stole my backpack. You should have hired Reacher to beat him up. <laughs> Reacher would have, he would have been a block, half a block down and Reacher would have just thrown the car onto them. <laughs> um, if that had been him. He does. A, there's a cars do not do well around Reacher, no. especially in this season. Like he kicks a car so hard that it breaks a man. The airbag goes off and breaks a man's nose, mm. and that's fun. That's kind of creative. He throws a grill at another car, but then he gets saddled with the whole thing. Gets set up of he had this special unit in the Army Criminal Investigative Division that he set up a bunch of renegades. Um, that he put together to do special investigations. Renegades in the army. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, the, the, the renegades are looked upon very well in the armed forces <laughs> in the United States. They're, they're big fans of rule breakers in the military, yeah, they are. Yeah. So he puts these people together, and you see in all of these pretty hackneyed, boring flashbacks, and then somebody starts picking them off. So he gets called in to meet the rest of them who are alive so they can figure out who's messing with the special investigators. Um, and they have a phrase, you don't mess with the special investigators. And that's their catchphrase. And they say it so many times that you just go, please, somebody 
mess with the special investigators for God's sake. They said it in season one too, right? Didn't he hook up with one of the special yeah. investigators in season Sergeant one? Sergeant Neely, who's, who's a, who's a frequent character in the books and comes back in season two is really the only one who comes off. Well, the rest of them are just boring. They're, they're just kind of dull in the background. Everything seems forced. Like he shouldn't be part of a quartet. Part of why Neely works so well is that she doesn't interfere with him too much. They're kind of on the same level. She lets him go pound things into the ground and into the roof and whatever. Uh, and then she, you know, like hacks something or something like that. And then goes, Richard shakes his, her head and he's like, I know I beat everything up. Um, so it works pretty well. And I think the where they go wrong in this season is they put him with his team of renegades who are renegades that are not as interesting as him, not as fun as him and not as intimidating as him instead of linking him up with someone who is a foil, you know, or somebody who's like more of a rule follower, uh, but also is ideologically opposed to whatever the bad guy's doing at the same time. They don't set up that buddy cop dynamic that he had with the uh, head of the police department in the first. Right. Season. Or, or the, um, or the female cop. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they were more than buddies. There was quite a shower scene, uh, but there's, uh, a, there's maybe- a love scene in the second season. Yeah. It's not as good. Yeah. It's a, yeah. uh, it's very, <laughs> it's just, it, it kind of looks like he's swaddling a, a a ham with a wig because <laughs> she's just so small on mm. top of him. You know, it's just, a yeah, little... it's a problem. There are, there are maybe, <laughs> maybe Bridget Nielsen could, could match him, but she, she's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, there is one more thing I wanted to bring up. So there isn't, there's this uh, guy who was in the wire in, in this season, Dominic Lombardozzi, I believe is the right. Name. Yeah. He played Herc in the wire. He's been in a bunch of other stuff. He's been an Irishman. He's actually good when he shows up. He's a NYPD guy. And he's kind of looking into the same thing that they're looking into, which I'm still not 100% sure what it is. And not because they haven't revealed it, but because it's just, there's missiles. I don't know. But he, he keeps, you know, telling him not to go cowboy and do all this stuff. And, you know, coming near, very close to doing a curly smacking his head thing uh, because he's so frustrated with Reacher. And when he shows up, everything kind of pops a little bit, but he's kind of relegated off to the side to, you know, sit back until the action happens and then go, bull Reacher. Well, here's the thing about Jack Reacher. I mean, Lee Child wrote these books. How many of them are there? 20? There are now, because I think he's now writing them with his son. I think he's getting ready for the big handoff because he's getting old. Yeah. Um, They're now like 28, 29, I think, is scheduled for this year. So um, there is potential still for Reacher, in other words. There's like, there's plenty of material seasons upon seasons of material if they want it yeah yeah the, the only problem would be having to preserve alan richardson's richardson's form <laughs> you have to sleep in a vegetable crisper or something i mean you know they they updated it because he started writing these in the 90s so you know r- young reacher like late teenage reacher was in the 70s and wandering around so they you know they they managed to adapt to that kind of thing and and he's the characters aged with the books as well. Well, and he kind of, he wanders. He does. He's like a self-styled hobo. He wanders like the Incredible Hulk. Right. Yeah. The, oh, the vintage Incredible Hulk from the 70s. The lonely man. He's yeah. a lonely, yeah. lonely He's, man, yet he doesn't seem very lonely. No, he just got, he kind of got drummed out of the army. There's a whole flashback book that covers that. Um, and he gets his retirement check 
and just wanders around America. Throwing uh, cars at people. <laughs> throwing cars and... People who deserve it. Only if they deserve, only if, only if they deserve it. No, that's, that's also another part of the problem with the second season is like he, there are some things that he needs and he's like, I'm just going to go rob these drug dealers. Mm. And you're like, what? Really? And then he tells him, get a, get a new job. Mm. You're like, I don't think those guys deserve that, even though they're drug dealers. Mm. <laughs> There's some problems. There's some problems with the re- the morality, <laughs> the the sort of world building, research world building. There's some inconsistencies you've pointed out. There's this whole scene where he goes into a gun store in New Jersey to buy like three pistols. And the guy tells him the law and tells him about the wait period. And there's this supposed to be cheeky back and forth between the two of them where they circumvent the law verbally. I don't think any of it would hold up in court or anything like that. And essentially he just bribes the guy to sell him guns and it's meant to be cheeky and funny, but it's not, it's just kind of gross. And it's like, Oh, ha, ha, you know, second amendment. And I, and, and I'm not like, I'm not an anti-gun person or anything like that, but I don't know that there are parts of the second season that feel kind of gross. Well, it's dad TV. What do you expect? It's the the ultimate dad TV. (laughs) All right. Well, well, no, that's good. I'm glad to, I'm glad to have your perspective on this because you're a book and film globes resident reacher expert. I know that's not what you, uh, you set out to be when you were a younger (laughs) man, but it's what you've become JP through the, through the acquisition of a lot of airport paperbacks. That's what you get for traveling. All right. JP Gwynn, uh, thank you so much. Reacher season two is on Amazon prime. Now I think, you know, it's a show that you can have on in the background. All right. Thank you so much, JP. Thanks, Neil. No, no No one here gets offended too easily. That's different. Why? Because there are real problems in the world. Hmm. Why'd you say, hmm? Just saying, hmm? You can't say, hmm? She's feeling a bit stuck. Don't get stuck. You're stuck. Like, it's the whole town with that phrase. Would you just all read it on the back of a box of sugar cereal? We would like to cordially invite you in the spirit of family. Take about 20% off of there, buds. We're in a kind of golden age of the Canadian sitcom. There were a few bigger hits in the last decade than Shit's Creek. And, you know, then there was Kim's Convenience, which also had a little heyday, especially in its first season. But arguably, none of the shows that have come out of Canada in recent years have been as successful uh, in reaching American audiences as Letterkenny, which has run 12 seasons, I believe, on the CBC. And it's uh, streaming on Hulu. And now it's finally reached its final season. And we have finally paid tribute to the great Letterkenny on Book and Film Globe. Robert Dean wrote about it for us. Hello. Howdy. Hey. So, yeah. So, you know, I like in Letterkenny sort of culturally, it's kind of like, it's not an exact comparison, but I would say it's like the Canadian version of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like the rural Canadian version of that. Would you, would you kind of buy into that to some extent? No. Okay. No, I think they're completely different. Okay. As a fan of both, this is always sunny is like so raw. And so that's kind of like the charm of Letterkenny, though, because like on It's Always Sunny, like they're confirmed pieces of shit. Like they're all bad people. And Letterkenny, at their heart, they're all really good people who look out for each other and take care of each other. So it's like that's like the sweetness about Letterkenny is that even like people that don't like each other and they think each other suck, 
they still help each other. And I think that that's kind of like the real central heart of that show. Well, I think maybe that's the difference between small town Ontario and, you know, Philadelphia, which is not a kind and uh, gentle place. But I, I was more thinking in terms, not in terms of the content so much, but in terms of the way um, these shows entered the pop cultural lexicon. You know, they're the, the guys who created It's Always Sunny. It's not like they they came out of some sort of, you know, grand tradition of sitcom writing. They sort of came out of nowhere. And it, the same sort of happened with Letterkenny, right? The guy who created it had a failed career as an actor in Hollywood. And then he went back to Canada and made this show for himself, more or less, right? Yeah, I mean, it was just a YouTube thing. It was the guy who plays Daryl and him, they called it Letterkenny Problems. It was just two guys. If, if I'm not mistaken, the genesis of it was he couldn't get it off the ground in Hollywood and then came home to Canada. I think Daryl was definitely an actor. And then the other two guys, the, uh, Jonesy and the other hockey dude that I can't think of his name because I'm hungover, they, uh, they were like legit guys he just played in beer league hockey with. And he was just like, you guys are funny. You should be on this with us. And they just did like Letterkenny Problems, which started out as them just saying the random small town things of like, you know, your sweeties with some, like they just do those random non sequiturs and people started watching it in Canada. And then it turned into the TV show, total rags to riches. So for people who aren't familiar with Letterkenny, and again, even though the show has ended its run, it is, you know, available uh, in various forms on streaming. What's the, the basic premise is that Letterkenny is a small town uh, in rural Ontario, and there are these sort of different um, cultural groups that are kind of vying for dominance, for dominance in this town, right? For sort of cultural supremacy. Yeah. I mean, it's the Hicks, the Skids, and the Jocks. Those are the three main food groups in the town. What are Skids? Skids are these like gnarly drug addicts, drug dealers who are real weird and they dance and are they're always scheming to like get people to buy their drugs. And they're just really weird dudes that wear top hats and stuff. I mean, anybody who's ever lived in the suburbs, even briefly, has uh, met those guys. Like suburban goth drug dealers are a whole special animal. Okay. And then obviously the Hicks are, are like farm people, right? Yeah. And then Jocks, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, I haven't seen a bit of Letterkenny, but it's mostly when you refer to Jocks in Canada, you're talking about hockey. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So do you have to have uh, a deep knowledge of hockey in order to appreciate the hockey humor in Letterkenny? No, that's like the beauty of the show. I think that one of the things that intrinsically work about it is it makes you like interested in hockey because you see kind of the relationships between the guys playing it, but also the way it culturally means something to Canadians. Like I got a friend here that loves hockey. She's here in Austin and she's all about it. Like she goes to beer league games. I was like, what the hell? She calls herself on Instagram, the beer league sweetie. And we talk about it. I'm like, nobody's going to somebody's kickball game. Nobody's going to your like recreational softball league except if you're playing or fucking somebody that's playing. But when you go to these like small town beer league hockey games, there's like 20 people at least watching them just play. It's wild. And that's here in Austin. So I guess in Canada, people actually care to the level that you just want to watch guys beat the shit out of each other and play the game on the ice. And you kind of like learn, you know, the chirping and them talking shit to each other and then getting into fights. Everybody kind of digs that where it's not two millionaires. It's like, some guy who works at the post office 
and a guy who changes oil just talking that shit and they got into a fight. I think people like the possibility of sanctioned violence. Yeah, you mentioned the term sweetie. You've said that a couple of times. Is that just sort of a, a you know Canadian slang for, you know, uh, girlfriend or, you know, good looking gal who hangs around? Uh, so sweetie is what they use for like girlfriends and somebody that you're serious with. And then a rocket is somebody's girlfriend or sister. And then a puck bunny is somebody that like Fox hockey players. That's what I've learned from my friend who's super into this. Okay. Now I, I would say, you know, having watched it, you know, the cast, the guys are sort of ordinary looking, but there is like this one incredibly beautiful woman at the center of, of, of a lot of the action. Oh, Katie. Yeah. Katie's Katie's a total babe, but that's like the wildest thing about Jared Kiso's shows like letter Kenny and the spinoff Shorzy. Every girl on it's beautiful. And like, from what my friends have told me that are female, a bunch of the dudes are good looking on Shorzy. So it's like, it's a little something for everybody. Right. So at the end of the day, it, it may be a show about ordinary Canadians, but it's still, uh, I mean, it's still TV, right? Yeah. I mean, it's still TV. It's still really funny. You know, the thing, I don't know. I don't know if you're, um, if you're a fan of of Schitt's Creek or not, um, but you know that you know Schitt's Creek had a uh, a- analogs to like uh, American shows like like the Bob Newhart sitcom where he was like a um, innkeeper or other sort of like you know rich snobs. I don't know the not the Beverly Hillbillies, but like Green Acres, you know, like big city snobs, you know, out of out of place in the country. What do you think a good comparison to, for Letterkenny would be if, if It's Always Sunny doesn't quite um, match? You know, I don't really think there is a comparison for Letterkenny because it's so unique. I mean, they do, they have the cold intro. The best, like, and this is a, the, a real far stretch. I mean, it's like one long Saturday Night Live skit that just kept repeating itself. They open up with the cold open, you do the cold open, and then from there you dive into the world. And sometimes the shows carry over, sometimes there's like storylines, but at the end of it, it's like Wayne is the toughest guy in town who likes to beat the shit out of people. There's always going to be some pretty girl involved in some capacity. Skids are always going to sell drugs. The hockey players are going to be stupid. And they want to win championships. And then when like somebody needs help, they all help. And when somebody gets into like a pickle, they'll all fight on behalf of that person, even if they don't like each other. So I think like, again, it's like one long skit and you just kind of endure it. But at the same time, you love the people and you love the characters. Like I love that show. There was some weak ones. The COVID one sucked. Like, season nine and 10 and half of 11 where you could tell that they were running out of gas. And you I mean, you can tell in season 12 that they're kind of running out of gas. Still, there's a lot of clip showy kind of like, Hey, remember that time? You know, it's like, what, but what do you do? What do you do when your entire premise is a small town? You never get past like the main players. There's a couple of ancillary characters, but like, you don't see their parents. You don't see that's my uncle Rick. It's like very, small scripted show and they use maybe 10 locations so it's like you really can't venture out i'm sure they were just like all right man shorezy we're playing hockey teams we've got a much more fleshed out plot it's just the team is never going to lose again and so with letter kenny i think they just were like all right let's just go out while people still love us because if we push this to like 13 episodes or 13 seasons i think that they, it was that jump the shark moment i'm glad they got out when they did because 12 is it's a good season, like I said. 
Look, 12 seasons, 12 seasons is a long time to not completely jump the shark for, for any show. It's a, a, that is a, a rare run for any program, so we should salute Letterkenny for that. So, all right, well, whether you are a, a hick, a skid, or a jock, or, or I don't think I'm any of those three, or something, you know, in between, we recommend Letterkenny at Book and Film Globe. Robert Dean, Bobby, thank you so much for... Uh, for recommending it, don't don't get into any fights tonight if you if you can avoid it. Oh, as soon as I get off the uh, podcast with you, I'm going to Chipotle, and that guy's getting shit rocked. <laughs> All right, talk to you later. Thank you to Robert Dean for talking to me about the final season of Letter Kenny, and also for talking to me about. Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais and various developments and trends in the world of stand-up comedy. He knows a lot about that world, and I'm glad to have him on board because I don't know as much as I should. I'm learning, though. I live in Austin, Texas, which is apparently the capital of stand-up comedy right now, so uh, my education will continue. Also, thanks to J.P. Gwynn for talking to me about season two of Jack Reacher. I guess it's not called Jack Reacher. The Tom Cruise movies are called Jack Reacher. This is just called Reacher, and it is airing on Amazon Prime. I am Neil Pollock. I am not a tough ex-military hobo who can solve problems with my fists. I solve my problems with my words and my voice and this podcast and the website, Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV every single day. And I will talk to you soon. Original Production.